Great to have you here on the Clark Howard Show, where it's about you learning ways to save more and spend less. And don't let anyone ever rip you off. So on the 17th of August, I got a notice from the IRS. And whenever you get one from the IRS, it's not going to be happy. And it's a notice of unpaid taxes. And it gives me tax I owe, shows no payments, shows a failure to pay penalty, interest charges, blah, blah, blah. And then there's a payment coupon for me to pay the U.S. Treasury. And then there's four pages of explanations about what a bad person I am for not having paid the IRS. Well, it turns out that I am just one of untold millions of taxpayers getting these notices. And why are we getting these notices? Because the IRS has not been opening its mail. According to Bloomberg, 12 million pieces of mail are being stored in temporary trailers because they haven't even been able to get around to opening them. I paid my taxes, just so you know, on July 15th like I was supposed to, but the IRS has never cashed my check. Well, so many people are like, what are you talking about? I paid that the IRS now has decided they're not going to send overdue tax notices anymore till they end up getting all the mail opened. And uh, as this happened because of a move by the chairman of the House Ways and Means Committee who went to the IRS and said this is ridiculous and said the last thing Americans need in the middle of this pandemic is an unnecessary scare from the IRS regarding tax bills that have already been paid but are stuck in a backlog. End of quote. Pretty simple, pretty clear. So you're not going to, if you've gotten those letters and you actually paid your tax, relax. Um, Know if your check is not cleared that you sent to pay a tax due bill. Don't freak out. It means that there are millions of pieces of mail behind and they'll eventually get around to opening that piece of mail. The other thing that you should know is the IRS has been late paying refunds to people. So now the IRS is paying people interest on the late payments. We, in fact, had uh, Ask Clarks posted where you can post questions for me at clark.com ask. We had Ask Clarks posted from people that were getting these checks from the IRS wanting to know if they were scam checks or not. And these are actual real payments that people are owed by the IRS for a slow pay to people on the refunds that they were owed. So the IRS is on its back heels because of coronavirus and how many facilities were closed for so long. And that is why people would be receiving either interest on money that they were owed, that was paid late, or that they got dunning notices 
that should not have been sent considering the circumstances. And now, as I mentioned, it's time for your questions that you post at clark.com slash ask. Producers Kim and Joel alternate with Kim up first. All right, this is from Mark in Colorado, and Mark says, Judy and I are engaged to be married. Congratulations. The wedding has been delayed due to COVID, so we're using the time to work through our combined finances. We're both in our 40s. The problem is Judy uses a longtime family friend and neighbor as a financial advisor. She has several accounts, but doesn't know what they all are or the strategy behind them. We looked over the statements and there was a lot of money moving around and we couldn't quite understand the deductions and credits. Judy is going to ask for a financial summary from her financial advisor slash BFF, but I am skeptical. Clark, I've listened to you for many years. I started a Schwab ETF and I'd like to know how do we determine if the fees that Judy is being charged for management of these accounts if the fees are too high and if they are clark can you please give judy some advice on to as to how to nicely fire her fa slash bff well you're asking for a lot from her because this is somebody who she feels close to and has been involved with a long time it's one of the most difficult of financial arrangements to bust So what I recommend is that she, without you, goes for a meeting face-to-face with this financial advisor and ask the following question, what am I paying in fees? What do I pay as a base for the advice you give? Second, am I paying any commissions on the investments that you buy from my account? And third, are you acting as a fiduciary? Those three pieces of information, because you've listened to me for a long time, you know what the answers to those questions should be. And if the individual is receiving commissions for things recommended, that's really not an acceptable choice of somebody to be handling her investments. If the person is not acting as a fiduciary, they're absolutely not acceptable as a choice to be handling the money. And if there is a fee, if it is above 1%, they are not acceptable as a choice. You want to figure out what the overall expenses are she's paying. If you were with doing ETFs, you're paying fees that are close to 0.00%. She may be paying fees that effectively are a few points which means that she ends up with a huge amount less money in her 60s than you would investing the same amount of money in your 40s moving forward. But I would not guilt her or pressure her. I would just make the information available in a form that is pretty clear, and then she can make a choice if she wants to break up from this BFF. Joel? Clark John in North Carolina says, I'm four years away from retirement. Basically on autopilot at this point, I'm feeling good about it. Uh, My question is that I have $45,000 right now sitting in a credit union money market account 
and it's getting only 0.35% in interest. It's driving me crazy. Yeah. Do you have any advice for short-term three to four-year investment to have a better return? The money is essentially earmarked to pay off our mortgage in the next three years and then enjoy that last year of working completely debt-free. Okay, I'm going to blow your mind here since you were virtually mortgage debt-free and you're earning 0.35 in the credit union. Even if you go to an online bank now, you're going to earn typically less than 1%. Your mortgage is a higher rate. And if this money is designed in several years to use to blow out your mortgage, take the, the money, the 45000 and put it towards your mortgage balance now. And that will get you so much closer to being mortgage debt-free a lot quicker pace of getting it done because the money you'll pay moving forward, almost everything will go towards principal and you will be mortgage debt-free before your original plan. And you won't be paying the spread, essentially, of what your interest rate is on your mortgage versus earning, uh, even at the best, less than 1% on the money that you've saved. You cannot invest for a three- or four-year window because investing, by the very nature of the definition of the word, is when you put your money into something where there's the risk you could lose some or all of it. This is money that needs to stay safe. The only way to do that really is in what you're doing in a savings account or a CD. So instead, why don't you just use it right now to pay against the mortgage balance in a lump sum? Kim? Clark, I feel like I should warn you on this one. It is nuts, and it's also really upsetting. So brace yourself. I'm ready. All right. Keith in Ohio says, I have a single aunt who we loaned money to thinking that she was getting some financial affairs in order. When she asked for more money, we said, no, not unless you tell us what it's for. So it turns out she's being scammed by someone with the, quote, international safe deposit box hoax. Basically, this guy needs her to send money because his money is all tied up in customs and he's out working on some oil rig. This guy is so slick that he's pretending to be a friend of hers that she hasn't talked to for a couple of years. He's still in contact with her and he doesn't know that we're on to him. We finally have my aunt convinced that this is a scam and we want to know how do we turn the tables on this guy and bust him? Clark, so far, he has taken $27,000 from her. I am so, so very sorry. And for your aunt on two scores that she lost this money, lost your money, and is suffering now from guilt and a broken heart. I mean, that's a, a rough combination. Odds are likely that this individual is outside the United States beyond the reach of the law, it would be very unusual that somebody engaging in this scam is stateside. If they were stateside, it would be more e uh, easier to track them down and maybe um, bring them to justice. The best thing to do in a case like this is for her to just, when the guy contacts her next, or whoever it is, doesn't even have to be a guy, pretending to be a guy, that she is not going to participate anymore and she wishes him the best and just cuts off communication because of the difficulty 
uh, being able to prosecute. And the important thing is for her to start healing emotionally from this. And I, I feel really, really bad about the circumstance. Joel? Clark Evan in Colorado says, Androids are switching over from Google Play Music to YouTube Music in the next few months. I suspect in an effort to try and get monthly subscribers for the premium service, but I have no interest in paying a subscription fee. Uh, But the free YouTube platform, it's not nearly as streamlined and user-friendly as Google Play Music was. So have you come across a better Android music player, or, or where would you go? Yeah, I would go to either the free version of Pandora or the free version of Spotify. And they both are very good at what they do, easy to use. You have to listen to ads, but it's worth it because the playlists get so sophisticated over time and are so much like the music you'd want that they're very easy solutions. Just go to the Google Play Store, download both of them, try them, see which one you like best, and you'll start using that one naturally. Harish is with us on the Clark Howard Show. Hi, how are you today? I'm doing good, Clark. How are you doing? Great, thank you. You have a money dilemma that many people would love to have, don't you? <laughs> yes, it is. It is indeed a good problem to have. Um, first of all, thank you very much for uh, taking my call. Certainly. Being a big fan of the show and the podcast as well. Thank you. So what's your so, scoop financially? Because it sounds like you have really gotten your financial house solidly in order. We, we, we think so, yes. Uh, my wife and I, you know, uh, we are doing very well, comfortable <clears throat> financially in terms of our retirement savings, kids' education, uh, emergency fund, and so forth. And the only debt we have is the mortgage on our uh, primary residence. And that sort of brings me uh, to my question. I guess it's a good problem to have, but... Uh, I wanted your advice because I'm getting conflicting information in the print media, on the radio. Um, So wanted to run that by you and see if you have an advice for me. So your dilemma is you're carrying this mortgage on your house and you're wondering, should you just blow it out, pay it off? Correct. Yeah. So we have been saving money and, you know, um, it is through hard work. I mean, we didn't inherit anything. Uh, but we do have money in the bank uh, to pay off the mortgage. The mortgage is around 300000 just, uh, you know, around numbers at 4%. Uh, we refinanced it a couple of years ago. So the rates have come down since. And uh, so we have about 28 years left. So either I can just pay it off. Write a check for 300000 No way. Or, you have that much sitting in savings in a bank? And that is that is really bad. I know. Sure. Uh, but wait, wait, wait. Have, have, uh, wait. On top of that, you are saving money for retirement. Correct. You have saved money for kids' college. Correct. Take that savings and wipe out that mortgage and be 100% debt-free. And that's what I've been hearing from a lot of a lot of uh, advice on other shows and and on on print. But then I've been also hearing that, you know, you should really keep the mortgage 
keep it as long as possible. You get the tax deduction. No, the tax deduction, really... tax deduction is way oversold, is not worth you carrying a 4% mortgage. I would zero out that mortgage. No, you don't have to worry about it anymore. That you own the home free and clear is exactly what I would do. And I, I wouldn't, I mean, in your situation with all your financial ducks in a row so beautifully, you've lived substantially on less than what you make. You, you have a lot more emergency funds, obviously, than you need. I would be completely debt free. And look, every month going forward, after you've done that, you can take that money and put it to work for yourself that you have been paying on the mortgage. So being debt-free is for you and me. Congratulations. Welcome to the Clark Howard Show, where it's about you learning ways to keep more of what you have. Our website's clark.com and clarkdeals.com. Now, the issue of getting financial advice is a really hard one. And you hear a lot of people ask me questions about that, obviously. We're trying to figure out the right way to do that. And the beauty today is that there's a lot more options at all different prices, all different levels of self-service and full service and in between. And that's also the beast of it. Because it's not anything where you go to one or two choices. There's so many different ones. Well, I wanted to talk about how the choices available for you may seem overwhelming, but there are some really great new options available. First, I wanted to talk about a tool I've tried myself at Charles Schwab. You don't have to be a customer of Schwab to do it. In fact, it's a great way for them to attract new people. It's called Schwab Plan. And you put in information about your situation, your spouse or partner who is part of the planning, and your ages, incomes, what it costs you to live, and what your goals are. And then it runs a thousand plus scenarios to try to come up with recommendations for you on how likely it is the path you're on is going to lead you to financial security or not. And it'll give uh, ranges of probabilities. So if you get above 80% certainty, that's good with a financial plan. You get above 90, it's outstanding. And you may find that what it will nudge you to do is save more money every month. Or it may get you to work on what you're spending to lower your expenses. And what's so wonderful is it's staring you right in the face. For good or bad, it's getting you to take responsibility for your own financial picture and your own financial future. Schwab also has something that I talked about when it launched that's become enormously successful, and it's the ability for you to be able to get ongoing financial planning advice for a flat rate of $30 a month, including 
managing your investments, no matter how much in investments you have, you have to pay $300 up front for developing an initial financial plan. This is different than the free thing I was just talking about. And then if you decide to adopt that plan and allow Schwab to manage your money for you, then that's what's 30 bucks a month. So it is a very, very affordable way for you to get personal financial advice that will not be as personal as you would have if you were with a traditional investment planner who's a fee-only planner. You're going to pay typically 1% of the amount of money you're investing. Every year you pay 1% in fees of the amount on hand. But this is a very affordable way for you to get advice, guidance, and the ability to talk with a human for, I mean, $360 a year for that is nothing. And there are offers that all vary, but are more and more present in the marketplace from the robos like Betterment and Wealthfront, from uh, Schwab's direct competitors, Fidelity and Vanguard, each offering methods of you getting whatever level of advice you feel you need and ongoing financial planning that you need, but all at dirt cheap kind of prices. It's time for your questions that you posted at clark.com slash ask. Producers Kim and Joel asking your questions for you. And if I remember right, Kim, it's your turn. That is correct. This is from Todd in Georgia. And he says, when purchasing a high-end flat-screen TV, think two to $3,000, is, no. yeah. is it worth it to purchase a third-party extended warranty? No. You hate me, don't you? Todd or me? Todd, two to $3,000. It better be like a 900-inch screen or something. And the cost of these TVs has come down so much. Don't buy state-of-the-art. Buy what's current. Spend a lot less. And you're going to find the TV is going to be more reliable than if you buy state-of-the-art. And if you can afford to buy a multi-thousand-dollar TV, you can afford to trash it if it croaks and it's not affordably repairable. In other words... Don't buy uh, one of those piece of trash service contracts on one, extended warranty on one. In addition to why you shouldn't buy one, the reliability of current technology TVs, even advanced technology TVs, unbelievable. The break rate in the first several years of ownership is teensy tiny, typically somewhere around 4% of the units will fail. They are so good that generally you're going to find that a decade out, you're going to wish it would die so you'd have an excuse to buy the newest, latest, greatest technology. So save your money, spend less on that TV to start with. I mean, think about it. You can buy an 84, 86-inch TV 
for like 1500 bucks now. Who needs bigger and fancier than that? Joel? Clark Albert in Georgia says, I'm in the process of purchasing a newly built home. My closing is sometime this month. So what do you recommend with kind of the way things are with the current economy? Is there a possibility that the housing market will crash and maybe I can get a better deal if I wait on this? The housing market is super heated right now and home prices have moved up. There are in many, many, many communities right now a house goes for sale and attracts multiple offers above asking price. So the market is a little bit overheated. The question comes, how long are you going to own this house? We don't know when the housing market and psychology will change. You have a need to live in a house, and if you're planning to live in the house you're buying for a substantial number of years, don't fret, don't try to time it. So if you're going to stay there seven years or longer, you're able to take advantage of today's very low interest rates, I would go ahead and buy. If your ownership cycle is likely to be much shorter than seven years, it's a riskier time to buy a home with the values having pumped up and maybe being a little inflated. They are not anything at a point that we could see a future collapse in real estate that's not in the cards but i do want you to know that the prices of real estate could in fact soften in the future kim harold in florida says my my son is almost two years old and we just started getting mail talking about parent plus loans to cover college costs for 2021 (laughs) two years old yeah so he is worried about possible identity theft wow and would like to check on his son's credit but can't do that because of his son's age so what do you advise that he does next okay so what you do you have your son's social security number Go to Credit Karma and see if you can check his credit there. If somebody is impersonating him at a much at what would be a much older age, then in fact, there may be a credit file already established. The fact that your child's two years old will be in, irrelevant at that point. You'll be able to see if there is active credit as if they are him. And then you would know what to do to get involved with cleaning up that credit with the things that should not be there. There's a procedure involved with child identity theft, which uh, you would follow with the three major credit bureaus. But let's first see if you can find an active file existing. If you can't find one for him at Credit Karma, then maybe this is just a fluke with the Parent Plus thing coming. That would be the more innocent possibility. What I'd like you to do then is set up child credit freeze with all three credit bureaus. Leave your child's credit frozen until it's time for your child to actually really go to college in 15 years. Otherwise, maybe the solicitation was from someone who thought your child was so brilliant they were already ready to go to college at two years old. Joel? Clark Teresa in Georgia says, if I've already uh, applied for and received a small grant from the IDLE program a couple of months ago, am I allowed to apply for another one now? This is a very interesting question about the IDLE loans. 
these are loans you do directly with the SBA, and they have a limit on them that has moved up and down, but now is as high as $2 million. And if you have applied for an idle and you want more idle money, you can amend that with the SBA. It's not absolutely necessary to do a new application since your borrowing is with the SBA directly. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Hey, listeners, whether you love true crime or comedies, celebrity interviews, news, or even motivational speakers, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue, right? And guess what? Now you can call the shots on your auto insurance, too. Enter the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. The Name Your Price tool puts you in charge of your auto insurance by working just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance. Then they'll show you a variety of coverages that fit within your budget giving you options. Now, that's something you'll want to press play on. It's easy to start a quote, and you'll be able to choose the best option for you, fast. It's just one of the many ways you can save with Progressive Insurance. Quote today at Progressive.com to try the Name Your Price tool for yourself and join over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Mike is with us on the Clark Howard Show. Mike, you have a distressing hey, story to share with me, don't you? Yes, uh, it's been kind of difficult. Um, we uh, fostered a girl 12 years ago at eight years old, and we were the seventh foster family um, in line. Um, and four years later, she became available for adoption. We adopted her. Um, and you know, Well, don't we really you have an amazing problems. heart, Mike? Thank you, yeah. first, for being a foster parent, and second, for that love that you have extending to you adopting this child at what 11 years old yeah she was she was just well turned just 12 but yeah four years later so um yeah it's a blessing on both sides no doubt about it that is great how's she doing as uh, now as an adult she's doing better um she's had a lot of problems growing up um you know going through several foster homes and then what we found out later on she blamed herself for all the demise of her family because she oh. was the one that had the wounds at the hospital and um, so, you know, it's been a long road, but I think she's in a better place today than ever before. Very uh, good. Graduated, going to Gwinnett Tech soon, and she's uh, got a job, so she's doing well. Great, great. All so right. here's what happened, Clark. Um, until she turned 18, every year we would turn our taxes in, and um, we couldn't do it electronically. Our accountant said that we'd have to turn around and do a, you know, a mail-in, and then everything would go through, um, and we'd get her tax credit. So we thought, assuming that maybe it was an old foster home or somebody had her social and they were, you know, claiming her before we did. Amazingly, when she turned 18, a whole lot of things started to unravel. We went to get her a checking account. And the first thing the banker said is, well, she's a high risk checking account because of poor credit. Our argument is she had no credit as far as we knew, but she had credit. And um, come to find out, it's pretty lengthy credit because we believe and kind of some proof that her birth mother has used her name, you know, her name prior to being adopted, as well as her social security number. We have two retail cards, we have a bank card, and we believe we also have a mortgage for this 18-year-old that was defaulted when she was like 13. All right, <laughs> so, well, uh, well you're, you have a new part-time job that will bleed almost a full-time job. Because so when, feels- when there is familiar identity theft or family identity theft, however you want to call it, it is a real tangle to, un, you know, to clean up. 
And we're talking about criminal behavior on the part of her birth mom, are you guessing? Yes. Yeah. Well, oh, Leah was there man. to visit, or my daughter was there to visit not that long ago, and a neighbor come up and said, here's the mail from your mom's old apartment. Well, the bells happened to be in Leah's name. Oh. One was from a bill collector. So that is the proof. Her mother finally admitted it after you know a year of denying it. We had always suspected it. Um, so yeah, we we pretty much know it's her. All right, this is this is a horrific problem because now you add an additional burden onto your daughter, and that is this is a full criminal event, and in order to clean up identity theft in a case where it involves a family member. It usually involves her filing a police report against her own biological mom. And that's been the problem. She doesn't want to do that, does she? Well, I'm not real sure because she's starting to understand the, the gravity of the situation, Clark. Um, so I think that she's maybe rethinking it. Um, if we would have suggested that three or four months ago, she would have gone into tears. My mom can't go to jail. My mom can't go to jail. Oh. So, um, I, I, you know, it's a question we're going to have to sit down and talk to her about. Right, because the way it gets cleaned up is when you're willing to go that far and you file charges against the mom, then the credit bureaus give it credibility. Until a family member does that, they assume that there was approval on your daughter's part of her biological mom assuming her identity. Ouch. Okay. So... Have you attempted with the credit bureaus to file any disputes yet of these items? No, I, uh, my wife and, and I'm gonna. She tried to work with Credit Karma or something like that, but that's when she found out they asked for a mortgage number to get in. So well, that's where we found out that uh, Ali apparently had a mortgage as well. So um, that is part of my advice. We have contacted specific lenders, and um, I think we have one in process. One's been forgiven, but. Uh, this could be way bigger than what we know, and that's what scares yeah. me. All right. So I want to tell you, Credit Karma is great and all, but not for this. There's a nonprofit organization that helps people like your daughter in a situation like this called the Identity Theft Resource Center. The okay. website is idtheftcenter.org. They have seen it all, and... Their advice will be very helpful and timely for you to know the best way to navigate this and proceed. Um, I know that you have to walk a fine line here because with everything, all the trauma your adopted daughter's been through, you don't want to add to it in this case. But for her to be able to move forward with her own financial life and identity, it's going to require some things that may feel tough and a little messy because otherwise these debts and the stolen identity will continue to cause her hassles after school when she starts into the regular workplace. You're listening to The Clark Howard Show. Thanks for joining us today. The Clark Howard Show is produced by Kim Drobes, Joel Larsgaard, Deborah Reese, and Jim Ayers. And remember, 24 hours a day, we're there to serve you at Clark.com and ClarkDeals.com.